Right, please open your Bibles with me this morning to Hosea chapter number 4. Hosea 4. We're going to cover all 19 verses this morning. But for the sake of time, I only want to read the first six up front. The title of this message is, My Contention is with You, O Priest. Follow along with me in Hosea 4 as I begin reading in verse number 1. Hear the word of the Lord, O children of Israel. For the Lord has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. There is no faithfulness or steadfast love and no knowledge of God in the land. There is swearing, lying, murder, stealing, and committing adultery. They break all bounds, and bloodshed follows bloodshed. Therefore the land mourns, and all who dwell in it languish. And also the beasts of the field, and the birds of the heavens, and even the fish of the sea are taken away. Yet let no one contend, and let no one accuse, for with you is my contention, O priest. You shall stumble by day. The prophet also shall stumble with you by night, and I will destroy your mother. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge, because you have rejected knowledge. I reject you from being a priest to me. And since you have forgotten the law of your God, I will also forget your children. This is the living Word of God. Our Father, we ask your blessing upon your Word. Lord, do what you can only do with it. It will not return void. And so, Lord, we trust you that everything that you need to say to our hearts this morning, you will say through your Word and not through me. Lord, we trust you with the remainder of all that is said today. We don't know how it's going to apply to our lives just yet, but we know that it does. We pray that we are convicted if we need convicting and comforted if we need comforting. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This past Friday morning, uh, I spent about an hour listening to some podcasts and scrolling through the, the board and council member list of various mainstream evangelical ministries. Ministries like Christianity Today and the Gospel Coalition. Now I realize that we're here in the mountains of West Virginia. And you may have never heard of either of those ministries. In fact, I kind of hope that you haven't. But I ask that you take my word on this. Christianity Today, it's a magazine and an online you know, thing. Christianity Today, which, which by the way was founded in 1956 by Billy Graham. Christianity Today and the Gospel Coalition are two of the leading Christian ministries whose influence either directly or indirectly reaches the people in the pews of churches all over West Virginia and everywhere else in the world actually all over the world. 
This is a, these are global ministries. And what I found when, when looking at the board and council members of those two ministries in particular was a snapshot of the spiritual leadership of the American church that at one time was biblical, conservative, and faithful to the truth, but is now leading undiscerning and unlearned Christians into deadly compromise with the ungodly culture around us. And friends, that is exactly what we see happening in our text this morning from Hosea chapter 4. For as much as God has condemned the spiritual and literal unfaithfulness of Israel as illustrated here in Hosea with the marriage of the prophet Hosea to the prostitute Gomer, as much as God has aimed at the people in general, in this chapter, He takes aim at the root cause of their spiritual unfaithfulness. And that is the corrupt negligence of, spirit, of, of Israel's spiritual leadership, the priest. So the big takeaway from this passage and, and takeaway from this message this morning is that God will hold the spiritual leaders of His people responsible for their compromise and their corruption. I, I want to say that again. God will hold the spiritual leaders of His people responsible for their compromise and their corruption. And this should be a sober warning for every pastor, for every preacher, for every church leader that holds any kind of position of influence over God's people. Friends, His contention is with us. Those who stand behind pulpits week after week, we are the problem. And we're going to see that very clearly as we work through these 19 verses of Hosea chapter 4, but we're going to do it by way of three main points. And the first one is that the culture of God's people has become corrupt. The culture of God's people has become corrupt. Look at verse number 1 with me in your Bibles. Hosea says, Hear the word of the Lord, O children of Israel, for the Lord has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. And here is that controversy. There is no faithfulness. There is no steadfast love. There is no knowledge of God in the land. But there is swearing, lying, murder, stealing, committing adultery. They break all bounds and bloodshed follows bloodshed. Now this is a description of the sad state of affairs that God's people in Hosea's time, which remember was about the middle of the 8th century before the birth of Christ. This is the kind of condition that they had drifted into. And it sounds eerily similar to what we see today, doesn't it? But friends, I want you to understand that I am not talking this morning about the culture of the American nation, but the culture of the American church. Because that's the audience of Hosea's prophecy. The people of God. Israel, right? The people of God. So during the first two weeks of this sermon series, I, 
or maybe the first three, I don't, is this third or fourth? I don't know. I chronicled just a few of the major problems in the church today, whether it's the theological drift, whether it's the sexual immorality, or the craving for cultural acceptance and relevance. All of that is essentially the same problems that Israel was having in Hosea's time. So the Lord says through the prophet, there is no faithfulness, there is no steadfast love, and no knowledge of God in the land. This is God's threefold assessment of His own people. Not the pagans living around them. And friends, I don't think that it's a stretch to say that God would have that same assessment of the church today in our country. Do you think that's a fair statement for me to make? And do you think that it's also true and fair of me to say that as the church goes, so goes the nation? Well, the consequences of our unfaithfulness to the Lord as the church are devastating and far-reaching. Look at verse 3. Hosea says, Therefore the land mourns, and all who dwell in it languish. And also the beast of the field, and the birds of the heavens, and even the fish of the sea are taken away. This is a comprehensive, devastating effect of unfaithfulness. God says the entire nation and even the land itself suffers because of the unfaithfulness of His people. And you see, it's because when we turn away from the Lord in unfaithfulness to idols, we lose our salt and light. And spiritual darkness settles over the entire land it's what happened to Israel, and it's exactly what is happening in our nation today because of the church. God's people have become corrupt. But there's a reason for that. And it's given here in this passage. So that brings us to our second main truth this morning, where the bulk of this message is going to be. The second truth is that the cause of the corruption of God's people is the compromising leaders of God's people. The cause of the corruption of God's people is the compromising leaders of God's people. Now look at, look at verses, verses 4 and 5. Yet no, let, let no one contend. Let no one accuse. In other words, don't, don't start pointing fingers. For with you is my contention, O priest. You shall stumble by day. The prophet also shall stumble with you by night, and I will destroy your mother. Now your translation, depending on what you have, may read a little different there than the ESV does. But here's the point. The spiritually unfaithful lives of the Israelites can be traced back to one root cause. The unfaithfulness of the priests. That's his point. So the primary target of God's complaint, of His contention, of His case, is not the people of Israel. 
It's the spiritual leadership of Israel. And why do you think that the, the unfaithful and immoral condition of the people is the priest's fault? Why, why might that be? Look at verse number 6. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I reject you from being a priest to me. And since you have forgotten the law of your God, I will also forget your children. You see, friends, it was the priest's responsibility to teach and lead God's people. But verse 1 says there is no knowledge of God in the land. And now in verse 6, God says, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. So it's a priest's job to faithfully teach the, the people of God, the law of God, and then model it in their own lives. But they were not doing that. So this was a national case of spiritual neglect. It was flagrant pastoral malpractice is what it was. All the priests and their ministries, they, they were prospering. They were growing. But they were not leading the people in faithfulness to God. Look at verse 7. God says, the more they increased, the more they sinned. Against, he's not talking about Israel. He's talking about the priest. The more they, they increased, the more they sinned against me. I will change their glory into shame. They feed on the sin of my people. They are greedy for their iniquity. You see, as the spiritual leaders of Israel who oversaw the, the sacrificial offerings for sin, the more the people sinned, the more the priests prospered and grew in power and influence and all that. You see? See how that works? So yes, the people were personally responsible for their sin, but God was zeroing in on the priest who actually encouraged their unfaithfulness for their own greedy benefit. And this is where I want to bring this to bear to our situation in the American church today. Alistair Begg one of the leading American pastors with over four decades of proven biblical faithfulness behind him. He's the pastor of Parkside Church in Cleveland, Ohio. You may have heard him on the radio. You probably have through his, uh, his Truth for Life program. He's the, probably the only guy on the radio with a Scottish accent. Anyway, in a recent interview, Alistair Begg was asked about whether a Christian should attend the wedding of a transgender loved one. And he said, and I'm paraphrasing, you can go online and listen to him in his own words say this. I'm not twisting his words in any way, but basically he said, as long as you make it clear to the transgender person that you do not approve of him or her or whatever they are at that point, if you do not approve of them getting married, then yes, you should go to the wedding. And actually, you should buy them a gift. And of course, his comments caused a stir. I mean, you, you know, you, you guys think I stir the pot. Here. No. 
his comments caused a, a firestorm among conservative Christians. And one of the first ministries to confront him was American Family Radio, who carried his program. But instead of repenting, or at least trying to qualify what he said in some way, he actually just doubled down. And just recently, I want to say two or three weeks ago, preached a sermon from Luke 15, essentially labeling his critics as Pharisees and American fundamentalists. Very disappointing. Is a massive understatement. Heartbreaking for me. Because I've benefited greatly from this man's ministry. Long story short, his radio program was dropped by American Family Radio. And he was basically disfellowshipped by several other leading conservative Christian ministries. And rightly so. But I want to say two things about this whole situation. Because I know you probably, just so I can get this out there and stir up the pot yet again, I want to say, number one, you can't go to a homosexual or a trans transgender wedding as a Christian. You can't. To, to, to go would be to give clear approval to an act of shameless rebellion against God and God's law. There's no way to nuance, to qualify, or to spin it any different way. You just can't go. But secondly, the counsel that Alistair Begg gave is a glaring case of what we're seeing right here in Hosea 4, of the spiritual leadership of God's people, of the American church in particular, leading God's people into compromise with the culture. It's a very somber warning of how real the drift is in the church today when even one of the most faithful pastors over the past half century comes out with this kind of pastoral counsel that reached literally the entire country because it went out on his radio program. This is what the Lord is contending with in Hosea's time and in our time today. His priests, his spiritual leaders, his pastors, his preachers. But all that aside, I, I want to go back to the Lord's primary contention. His, this is, by the way, this, the word contention there in the Hebrew, it's just sort of like legal courtroom language. He's bringing a case against the, the spiritual leadership of Israel. And this is the primary focus of it. Is that they neglected to teach God's law to God's people. Three times the word knowledge shows up in the first six verses of this chapter. Now we're not talking about simply intellectual knowledge that, you know, that comes through knowing the law. Uh, just you know, memorizing facts and all that. No, no. We're talking about experiential knowledge of God that conforms our lives to His character and His will as it is revealed in His law. But the priests were not teaching the people. The shepherds were not feeding the sheep. And the result was that the people didn't know God. 
And friends, the same thing is happening today in the church. Every two years, Ligonier Ministries, which was founded by R.C. Sproul Sr., who's gone on to be with the Lord a few years ago, every two years, Ligonier uh, in Orlando, Florida, they do a, a state of theology survey of professing evangelical Christians. That's, that's who they survey. They don't survey just, you know, the, the what do you call them on the surveys now? Um, when they don't identify as any kind of religious, whatever they are, you know, whatever. They, they're surveying professing evangelical Christians. Now, evangelicals are those who identify as born-again, Bible-believing Christians. Like, do like us. But the results keep getting worse and worse every time. Let me give you some of the more troubling findings. These are from the most recent survey in 2022. They're going to do another one this year. But in 2022, 48%, which is almost half of American evangelicals, believe that God learns and God adapts to different circumstances. In other words, they believe that God changes and is changed by external influences even though His Word explicitly says that He does not change and cannot change. 65%, that's almost two-thirds of American evangelicals believe that human beings are born innocent even though God's Word explicitly teaches that we are born in sin that is imputed to us as sons of Adam. But here's one that's really shocking. That really accents the state of affairs in the church today. 72% of professing Christians in America believe that God accepts the worship of all religions. 72%. Of professing Christians in America believe that God accepts the worship of all religions. Now let that sink in. Whatever happened to Jesus in John 14 when He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He wasn't very inclusive there, was He? He didn't seem to get us there, did He? Here's one more. This number's not quite as high, but it's shocking nonetheless. 37%, over one-third of American evangelical Christians believe that gender identity is a matter of choice. So yes, I think God would say to us, just as He did to Hosea, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. And the finger points straight at the men who stand behind these sacred pulpits week after week. 
The truth is that, is that, that most Christians today are profoundly undertaught by their pastors. They have very little knowledge of basic theology or the Bible in general. Outside of a few Bible stories they learned in Sunday school as kids growing up or, or all the coffee cup Bible verses that are almost always taken out of context. I would dare say that the average churchgoer today cannot even accurately articulate the biblical gospel. They don't know how to defend their faith. They have zero knowledge of church history. And just about any basic theological vocabulary is way over their head. And it's because pastors have been feeding their people shallow, man-centered sermons. Or he just gets up there and reads a random verse or two and then rants about whatever's on his mind for that day. And when pastors do come along who do want to teach their people well, they often, listen, though, I, I know this, but I've talked to brothers of mine who this has happened to. They'll get run out of the church because their congregations are so used to milk. And, and they're, they're so spiritually anemic that they can't stomach the meat of the Word. We are in trouble today, friends. And it is the pastor's fault. That's, that's what God's saying there. So I know we, you know, we don't want to blame shift and all that. That's why, that's why verse 4 says, don't, don't, put, don't start pointing fingers. We all know who's really at fault here. That's, that's, that's the, uh, you know, the nearly inspired Brian Henson translation of that verse. Don't point fingers at everybody. We know who's really at fault. It's these men standing right here week to week. We're in trouble. Verse 9, look at it. And it shall be like people, like priests. You see that? <laughs> it shall be like people, like priests. God says, I will punish them for their ways. In other words, the priests aren't going to get a pass. They're not going to get to go into some sort of underground spiritual bunker when God lets the, 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 the spiritual nukes fall from heaven in judgment. No. They're going to judge, they're going to be, they're, they're going to, they're going to suffer the same way. God says, I will repay them for their deeds. Verse 10, they shall eat but not be satisfied. They shall play the whore. Well, there's that word again. But not multiply. Because they have forsaken the Lord to cherish whoredom, wine, and new wine, which take away the understanding. Verse 12, my people inquire of a piece of wood. You know, when I, when I read that verse, I, you know, there's this thing going, y'all ever heard that, of that uh, Enneagram? Anybody ever heard of the Enneagram? Just kind of wave your head if you have. Enneagram, right? Am I saying that right? It's that little thing, some kind of personality deal. And I see Christians, man, books have been written by Christian authors on the, the spiritual significance of the Enneagram. And when I read this verse, that's what I think about. My people inquire of a piece of wood. I mean, man, we're out there searching for answers and pop psychology and all this other stuff. God says their walking staff gives them oracles. 
For a spirit of whoredom, well, there it is again, a spirit of whoredom has led them astray. See, this is a spiritual thing. The priests are supposed to keep watch. The prophets, the, they're supposed to be watchmen on the walls. And they're asleep. We're all asleep, the preachers are today. We're not watching. And so this spirit of whoredom has come in and led them astray, God says. And they have left their God to play, well, there it is, just one more time, the whore. In other words, they're just spiritually unfaithful. They've left their, their husband, Yahweh, to chase after Baal and all these other gods. And we're doing the same thing today. Verse 13, they sacrifice on the tops of mountains, burn offerings on the hills under oak, poplar, and terebinth, because their shade is good. Therefore, your daughters play, whoops, one more time, the whore. And your brides commit adultery. How many times did, did, did Hosea, did God, through the prophet, use that word whore there? You think he's a little upset at the spiritual unfaithfulness of his people. God basically says to the priest, you have led my people away from me into beds of adultery with other gods and you will pay for it. Now why do you think that God is exposing all the corruption among the clergy today? You think he's seen enough of it. But friends, I want us to notice something else in this passage. It's not just the priests, the pastors, the preachers that God is going to hold accountable. Okay, you ready for this? It's the men too. Look at verse 14. I will not punish your daughters when they play the whore nor your brides when they commit adultery. Why? For the men themselves go aside with prostitutes and sacrifice with cult prostitutes and a people without understanding shall come to ruin. Man, I want to tell you this morning, that there is a great responsibility on our shoulders to not just provide for and protect our families, but to lead our families spiritually. And if we neglect that, the Lord will come for us. Zechariah chapter 10 verse 3. This verse is in your bulletin, I think. Zechariah 10 verse 3, God says, My anger is hot against the shepherds, and I will punish the leaders, for the Lord of hosts cares for His flock. Men, we are the under-shepherds of our wives and children, just like pastors are the under-shepherds of the church. And if we don't lead our families to Christ, the Lord's hot anger will burn against us. Remember I said earlier, and you agreed, you agreed, that as the church goes, so goes the nation. Let's take it a step further. As the family goes, so goes the church. 
And as the man goes, so goes the family. Now, it's all on us, brothers. It's all on us. I know that's a crappy deal. But it's just the way it is. So I expect that it's time to come out of the man cave or the workshop and get around the dinner table with our Bibles open and our wives and kids around us. And let's make sure that our families don't die spiritually for the lack of the knowledge of God. I wish somebody would just say amen. It's the only way that we're going to turn things around in the church. It's the only way we're going to bring this nation back. Donald Trump can't do this. The Republican Party can't do this. This is not a political thing. Lastly, and very briefly, the caution is given to avoid the influence of the corrupt culture and its compromising leadership. God finishes this chapter with a caution. Let's, let's read the rest of the verses. Verse 15. Though you play the whore, O Israel, let not Judah become guilty. Now you remember Judah was the, the southern kingdom to the south. Two tribes, ten tribes in the north of Israel. Northern kingdom, Judah was to the south. Two tribes. Though you play the whore, O Israel, let not Judah become guilty. Enter not into Gilgal, nor go up to Beth-Avon, and swear not as the Lord lives. In other words, don't you put my name on your lips. You're going to these, 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 these altars of, of Baal. Don't try to pretend like you're religious when you're jumping into bed with a false god. Verse 16, like the stubborn heifer. <laughs> I know y'all know something about a heifer around here, right? Anybody ever seen a stubborn heifer? Now you women don't look at your husbands. <laughs> Although I don't guess he would be a heifer, would he? He'd be a bull. Or, well, I don't, listen, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I just felt like we needed a little, something a little lighter. Like a stubborn heifer, Israel is stubborn. Can the Lord now feed them like a lamb in broad pasture? Ephraim, by the way, Ephraim was the largest of the ten tribes of the north. And so oftentimes Ephraim is uh, used as uh, uh, another name for Israel. He's talking about Israel here. Ephraim is joined to idols. Leave him alone, God says. He's talking to Judah here. Ephraim is joined to idols. Leave him alone. When their drink is gone, they give themselves to whoring. Their rulers dearly love shame. A wind has wrapped them in its wings, and they shall be ashamed because of their sacrifices. You know, later on we're going to talk. We're going to find in Hosea he talks about when you sow to the wind, you reap the whirlwind. Right. Anyway. The primary audience here changes from the priest of Israel to the nation of Judah. God says, Judah, do not follow Israel's example. Don't let their drift influence you. Leave them alone. 
Friends, in many ways, the condition of the entire world depends on the condition of America. That's just where God in His providence has placed our nation at this stage in world history. And that means then that the condition of the church in America affects the church everywhere else, for good or bad. You see, it's often been said, you've heard, I know you've heard this before, it's often been said that Christianity is booming all over the world. But that's not exactly true. A particular version, or perversion, I should say, of Christianity is booming. It's called the prosperity gospel. Now, you can ask almost any missionary. Now, you know, we've had a few missionaries here. Since I've been here, we've had Vlad and we've had uh, Brother RJ. Uh, who else? I, I don't know. Like international guys. But you ask almost any missionary, especially those who serve on the continent of Africa, where Christianity is allegedly really booming. And they'll all tell you the same thing. The health and wealth gospel is being exported out of the American church. And it is infecting global Christianity at a shocking pace. So we are doing to the global church what Israel did to Judah. Influencing and leading them into unfaithfulness. But in these verses, God calls Judah. And He's calling what's left of the faithful church here the faithful church, to avoid the influence of the compromising church. That means that we mark and avoid those who teach what is contrary to the truth. And when we see truth attacked by compromising pastors and leaders, like even Alistair Begg, we have to speak up. We have to. I cannot, but, but, but listen, it's, that's not easy to do. I cannot tell you how many times I've named this false teacher or that false teacher who just so happened to be somebody's false, you know, or somebody's favorite preacher in the church. And I get the calls. I get the complaints. I can't tell you how often I've addressed compromising religious views from the pulpit and catch heat because of it. And yes, it has happened here. So if we, if we don't think that, we, that, that, that drift can creep in among us, then we're already drifting. By the way, I don't know if you noticed this, but there is some very providential language for us in particular in verse 15. When the Lord says, do not go up to Beth-Avon, well, Beth-Avon means house of wickedness. But Beth-Avon was really Bethel, Beth-El, which means house of God. And this was a deliberate renaming of a once holy place because it had been desecrated by the spiritual adultery of God's people. So, oh yes, Bethel Church, we can drift don't think for one second that our past faithfulness will protect us from future compromise. doesn't work like that. 
we must avoid even the slightest sign of drift. And if it causes people to leave the church, okay. It's just that important. Do you believe me? I'm out of time. I'm out of time and I need to give you the gospel and call us to prayer. This is going to be a very abrupt and unpolished conclusion. At the end of the day, all I can say to us this morning is that if we have not turned from our sin and self-sufficiency and self-righteousness and trusted in Jesus Christ, then none of this talk about drift really matters at all. Because John 3.18 says that he who does not believe is condemned already. Friend, do you believe this morning? You believe, number one, that you are a sinner deserving of God's just, eternal wrath. Do you believe that repentance and personal faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is the only way your sin can be forgiven and that you can be made right with your Creator? If you don't believe that, dear friend, you're going to hell. Forever. <laughs> Believe on Christ today. Or maybe you're here. I think this is probably most of us. We're here and we are Christians. But maybe you're feeling the influence and the pressure of this compromising culture in the church, you know? You're feeling it. Maybe you're dealing with this same question that Alistair Begg was dealing with. Should we go or should we not go to the wedding and all. Maybe you've been reconsidering your own views on gay marriage or whether you you should go to the wedding or all these other issues that are out there in the culture. Maybe you've been reconsidering. You're just not so sure anymore. Friend, if that's you, you're drifting. You're well on your way down the road of compromise that eventually leads to complete apostasy. Mark my words. The man who says it's okay for you to go to a transgender wedding is two steps away from embracing and affirming homosexuality in its fullness. Maybe not even two steps. That's why we call it a slippery slope. And if that's you this morning, if your belief system is starting to slip you're starting to drift. I want to call you to repent. I want to call you to repent. I don't want to be judgmental. I, I know that the, the world's going to see me like that. You know me. But I want to call you to repent and return to Christ and return to the truth today. Let's bow for prayer.